0: Crush your menopause sugar cravings just in time for summer with all natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B O S S A Bars.com and save 10% with code HOTCUL10.
1: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today on the show, we have Omishadeh, Bernie Scott. And Omishadeh is the creator and host of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And unfortunately, Bridget was traveling, so she won't be joining me on the interview, but she's with me right now. And I thought it was really important to start with a little background and foundation of information on this topic, because I didn't know until I actually started interviewing, I'm going to call her Omi. She's Omi Sade, but she goes by Omi as well. Until I started interviewing Omi that I didn't even know a lot of the information about the SWAN study or the differences between Black women and women of color in menopause I, you know, it's just, it was fascinating. I learned so much from this show. So I wanted to kind of start with saying that language really matters, especially today in our world. But, you know, when you talk about menopause, you don't always think about the language differences. 50 million plus women, women identifying people, and non binary people who are currently going through menopause. And a third of those are women of color. And I think it's really important in, on our show that we are aware of the language that we use. And in doing this research, i discovered that using the term people versus women is a lot more inclusive mm-hmm. and that people feel mm-hmm. more included when we are talking about a group of, of people going through menopause. Another thing that I wanted to bring up is that there's, um, Omishadeh is going to reference the SWAN study. And the SWAN study is an active research for women's health across the nation. And they examine the physical, biological, psychological, and social changes during menopause. And what was fascinating to me were some of the findings that I was reading about. Number one, Black women begin menopause on average nine months earlier than white women. Did you know that, Bridget? I did not know that. I did not know that.
0: No, no. Mm -hmm.
1: And also that black and Hispanic women endure several years longer than other ethnic groups. The symptoms on average, 10 years, nine months versus six years and five months for non-Hispanic white women. Did not know that. Black women experience irregular bleeding longer. Again, things that we should be aware. It's hard enough to get information on menopause in general, but when there are differences... In struggles for people, we should be made aware of that. Oprah Daly did a great article in April of this year, referenced Omi as well as a friend of ours, Denise Pines, really talking about the SWAN study and the differences in diversity. The, the article is called For Women of Color, Menopause is Different. And I would refer, we'll have it in the show notes, the link, but I would refer people to it because it really clarifies a lot of the questions Black women are also three times more likely to experience menopausal symptoms because of systemic racism, because of poor access to health care, because of socioeconomic challenges. There are
0: so many things we don't even think about. And also, people don't, they don't listen to them. I just know Black friends of mine will go to the same physician and be treated differently. I, I mean, I have talked to people that has happened to them. And they will be treated differently. And it, it is it's it's really terrible, but you're right, the systemic racism that is involved there,
1: yeah. I, I really thought it was important before we had started the interview to just kind of create a foundation by referencing things like the Swan study, by talking about yes. the differences and really, the importance of language because language matters right. It matters. Right out in the world, but it also matters on a podcast. And I think- it sure does, yeah. We are so yeah. quick to talk about menopause and women that we don't realize that we're not being inclusive to everyone, every person that's going through menopause. We are gonna start this conversation- it's really a great dialogue, and it's something that we need to continue. It's kind of just an opening layer. So we would love to hear your feedback on this episode. If you have questions, please email us. If you have other thoughts about the program, we're always open to suggestions and comments. So you can always email us at hot flashes, cool Topics at gmail.com. And again, everything from the from all of the information that you, we will talk about will be in our show notes. So let's get started. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today I have on a really cool guest, and unfortunately Bridget is going to miss it because she is traveling. But I have on Omisha Day Bernie Scott, who is the founder, curator, creator of the Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here with you. I wanted to start with, why did you decide? I know there was like a year of rest, but why did you decide to start this platform?
2: -hmm.: um, That's a really good question. I think that during the creative sabbatical that I took from social justice work, because I've been doing social justice and nonprofit work since 1995.) I knew that I wanted to sit down, spend time with, listen to, talk to um, Black women, women identified and gender expansive people who are my age or older initially. Like I really wanted to talk to my peers and I wanted to talk to folk who were older than me, just kind of how they're navigating life. Like, you know, how are you navigating as a menopausal person or a postmenopausal person? Uh, What do your relationships look like right now in your life? What does work and creativity look like? Um, What does intimacy and romance or pleasure look like? I just want to talk about all the things. And because I really enjoy storytelling and I'm a storyteller um, and understand the power of story, I was thinking these are going to be really rich, potent conversations. I should probably record them or document them in some way or fashion initially thinking like for myself if I want to return to them at some point in my life and use them or if I want to share them publicly and so I sat down with a couple of really good friends who are creatives here in Durham where I live and they said you should maybe consider doing a podcast and I love podcasts um so I was like this is a really good idea I think I'll do that and my producer Mariah um who's one of the folk that I sat down with actually offered me the name. Um, they said, you should call it The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And I was like, that's a great name. And so what has happened over the last three years, we are now in season four of the podcast, but what has happened over the last um, three years of figuring out like how we're engaging in this menopausal landscape is that we're really clear clear that the like culture and narrative shift work that we're engaged in has to center the stories of the most marginalized people. Um, Because if we don't, then we will kind of replicate as people get older, as people are navigating menopause, the same type of erasure or invisibilization that's really complicated inside of women's health and health equity. And I did not want to, to do that. And it also goes against kind of the way that I'm shaped and how my work has been framed over the last however many years. So it became a very easy thing to make sure that we were centering those voices and those stories um and so that's kind of how we ended up deciding on a podcast and of course not everybody likes podcasts you know this Colleen. so yes
1: <laughs> or they can't find them they don't even know where they exist you know
2: it's a, it's a it's a, a different group of people you know i love NPR we listen to NPR most days throughout the day in our house definitely um in the mornings and the evenings when i would Drop my son off at school or pick him up from school, um, and I also love that audio storytelling that allows you to kind of create your own internal landscape. So you're listening to the story, you're not distracted by what the person looks like or their accessories or trying to, you know, I wonder how old this person is, like. There's so much power for the listener when you share the story and you're only
1: listening to the audio to creating your mind, whatever you want to create. From our own personal experience being in the podcast, we've been doing this two and a half years now, and we kind of put the seatbelt on to see where it would go. We had a similar idea in that we wanted a community that of women, not just in menopause, but midlife, because a lot of women at this stage feel invisible and don't feel seen and heard. So we're always talking about how we have similar situations, similar symptoms, but there is a difference here. And I love that you are talking to part of our demographic that may not feel their voices being heard. Mm-hmm. How how has that evolved through your journey in doing the podcast and the platform?
2: In terms of the voices that
1: I? Yes, use. in yeah. terms of the voices and the responses that you're getting.
2: Well, there's just a, part of a demographic, um, notwithstanding gender or age that's going through it is different. And so I think it's always curious to me when, um, I love this question and it's always a curiosity to me around how people see people fully in their full personhood. Um, and so as a person is standing in front of you, I don't make any assumptions around who that person is. I actually invite them to tell me who they are. Right. And so, I think that's really critical when we're thinking about um, as we're experiencing right now um, in the country and politically um, people not feeling like they have agency or bodily autonomy over their bodies. And so many people have very different identities, different ethnicities, different race races, different cultures, different social economic backgrounds. There, there are so many differences that are really context and really critical um, because if we don't see that um, or find a way to make room for that, um, then the folk who are already experiencing likely systemic oppression or marginalization contemporarily and generationally will be pushed further to the margins. And I didn't want to be complicit in that at all. And so, yes, generally speaking, well, you know you and I are similar physiologically because we both, you know, were born women. And so we have similar physical parts, right? Right. Um, But I'm an African-American woman who's seventh generation, born in North Carolina. um, And we have different lived experiences, which doesn't negate your experiences or amplify mine, is a truism. Um, And so part of what I am trying to offer people, not as a spokesperson, but as someone who is holding space for people to tell their own stories and to also listen to stories, is that we cannot make assumptions about how people women experience menopause. We can't make an assumption about their gender. We can't make an assumption about how they experience it differently or, this, or similarly based on race or ethnicity or culture. And we can't make assumptions about age. And so throughout the podcast, throughout the four seasons, we have offered a real wide range of voices, perspectives, realities, truths, stories, narratives, information so that way people can hopefully see themselves more fully inside of the platform we've created. Maybe they don't feel as isolated or alone or scared Um, and also it might give people information that they had not uh, had access to previously or some unlearning can happen around the assumptions we make about bodies and whose bodies are going to experience menopause.
1: One of the things that we learned pretty early on in our podcast was that there's just not enough information getting out to women about what they're going through, even from doctors. Have you found that to be a similar situation for your podcast?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, The vast majority of people who contact us, who are our listeners, and also, um, you know, a good portion of our guests, Um, Share that they didn't feel like they had received any kind of substantive information about menopause to prepare them for it. Um, And then once they were actually experiencing perimenopausal symptoms, whether they were very intense or not, um, that some of the reactions that they received either from their healthcare provider or folk inside their families was like varying. And so I think that generally speaking, most people I speak to Um, or who reach out to us say, I'm so glad there's a platform where we can be very transparent and honest about what we're experiencing. And so glad that you're talking about a lot of different ways to understand menopause. So not just from a physiological or health perspective, but also from a mental health perspective, also from a sexual health perspective, also from a very spiritual, sacred perspective. Um, And I also, um, because of the way that I see the world, will add in there um, a social political perspective for people to understand one of the reasons I think that we are not um, seeing people talk about menopause, um, that me- there's not, in my opinion, intersectional menopause research or policies to protect menopausal people is because of systemic oppression, like patriarchy, misogyny, homophobia, white supremacy. And so um, we kind of apologetically give people an opportunity to be curious about that, too. Like, why am I experiencing care differently from my colleague? Or what's happening to me inside of the workplace? Is this, is this a function of ageism as well? Like, to give people the tools that they need to have the agency, they need to be able to navigate this experience um, and not feel isolated or to, or to feel like there's something wrong with them.
1: And I, I think, you know, in listening to what you're saying, I agree 100% with, with all of it. And I think recently in the last couple of weeks, it's just been hit, hit, hit for women right. Right. one after the other. Right. And how do you, I mean, I know for me, I just have such an anger for, I have two daughters and I feel like I let, I must have like somehow let them down that this is what they're entering the next phase of life with and what can we do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as women in this demographic to make difference and what have you found has been the kind of temperature around what's been happening the last few weeks
2: part of my past work experience and commitment in community has been reproductive justice so I've done reproductive justice advocacy work for quite some time. It's probably now going on about 10 years, a little over 10 years. Um, And what I'm realizing is that I kind of sit in a place of odd privilege for folk who think that privilege has more so to do with affluence, influence, and rather than your mindset and your work. Um, I sit in a place of privilege because... I've been working with people who've been on the front lines of repo justice and repo rights work for for quite some time now. And so I know that there's a very robust um, community of people who are very much dedicated to protecting our bodily, our ability to engage in bodily autonomy to protect ourselves um, and who have been engaging in advocacy and policy work and saw this coming and also have been doing their best to engage in um, voter engagement, civic engagement, um, making sure we get voters to the polls because we know this is also very much a political issue. And I, I think that part of what my understanding is kind of for the general public, I always think about what would I say to my cousin who doesn't do the work I do, who doesn't under understand the work I do, um, but it's certainly going to be impacted by what's happening. Like how am I going to make sure that they feel like they know um, what exactly is happening And if they want to be activated to support, participate, or now become part of the movement, what's an on-ramp for them? And I see that happening more and more where people are wanting to figure out, where's my on-ramp to this work? Where's my on-ramp to understanding? And the first thing I will always say is start at home. Start in your own backyard. Start in your local community. Um, connect with local repo rights and reproductive justice organizations in your local community or in your state. If you don't have the capacity um, and also your political awareness around what's happening isn't quite there yet, you can do a very simple basic thing is make a financial contribution to these groups who know what to do, right? Um, and then I think it's important to figure out how to volunteer. Um, I think it's important for people to have the agency and be responsible for their learning. And so like how you get connected to these organizations that do, I think a very beautiful, amazing, robust political education. for new people who are coming into movement space to understand the context of what's happening is not a spontaneous event. This has been decades of work, right? And so this is part of what political education looks like is to help people understand, You are entering into this landscape in this moment, but this moment has a through line that precedes you. And how do we get you up to speed on the through line? So you understand the players, you understand the landscape, you understand the ecosystem that we're talking about. And certainly, again, part of what um, I am seeing um, from colleagues and friends who do this work is that we want to make sure that the conversation is very expansive and we want to give people opportunities to figure out how they can activate. And so part of that is making sure that we don't um, make assumptions about what people know or how people want to be. And there is an aging of this movement. And a lot of the people who were on on the front lines of repo rights and repo justice are menopausal or postmenopausal people. Whether they define themselves or identify as women or not, they're definitely menopausal or postmenopausal. And my concern is like, well, how are you taking care of yourself in the midst of really staying committed to this work and this fight that's so crucial for this generation.
1: And I I think that lends me to my next question, which is you've been very honest about mental health and your own mental health struggles. I'm very honest about mine on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. What have you found? I mean, I know around age 45, when I started perimenopause, and again, I had no idea I was in perimenopause, I thought, oh, all of this anxiety was situational. You know, my daughter wasn't well, my father was dying. You always make excuses, but yet the anxiety grew. Mm-hmm. When you kind of hit that clinical depression stage, what worked for you to get help? Because a lot of women in our demographic and I think our generation just think we have to just deal with it, suck it up and deal with it.
2: Yeah.
1: So, what worked for you or what helped you?
2: Yeah. It's interesting that you say that I had um, lunch yesterday with one of my friends who's also a mentor and, and Trudy's probably 18 years older than me. Um, And I said that one of the generational markers of Gen X is that we have to prove our worth tangibly that (laughs) that society, capitalism, whatever has, has framed it or, raised us up in high school and in college that if you're doing something of worth, prove it. Let me see. Oh no. And I need to like, can I hold it in my hand? Is it a book? Is it a widget? Is it a toy? Is it like, I need to see it physically. And then I'm going to judge for myself whether or not I think what you've done is worthy. And so it's always, this kind of like, it was a very pervasive, persistent externalization around worth. Your worth is evidenced by your degree. Your worth is evidenced by whether or not you marry. Your, ev- your work is evidenced whether or not you have children. Your work is evidenced by your position or title inside of whatever industry that you are in. Are you the director? Are you the executive director? Are you the CEO? And if you can't provide societally the evidence, then are you worthy of any kind of care or respect? No. No. That's what society has said. But I know that's not true. I know that's absolutely not true. You are valuable just because you simply exist. You are valuable because you are a person, a whole person with lived experiences. And you are valuable and worthy of being respected, affirmed, supported, loved, cared for, cheered on, no matter what. Doesn't matter what you do. It's more about who you are and what you want to be. And I was diagnosed with clinical depression in 2016. So it was a year before my 50th birthday. And I was working so hard um, with a previous employer and I was traveling all over North Carolina doing work around um, healthy communities, ironically, Uh, (laughs) healthy eating, active living, And I just was kind of shrinking. Like I was not happy. I couldn't figure out what was going on with me. My oldest son had just graduated from college the year before. I had had gotten divorced three years before that. My youngest son was in elementary school. I'm traveling, I'm working. And I just felt like I was shrinking, like something inside of me was shrinking. And I physically lost 40 pounds in about six to eight weeks. So I I had cancer. I was like, okay, I'm done. They're going to, you know, we're going to do all these tests and my doctor's going to say, Omi, I'm sorry, but you've got cancer. Or I thought I had an autoimmune issue because my mother had sarcoidosis and that's what she passed away from. I, You know, like I had all these scenarios because I'm also like a notorious (laughs) WebMD.
1: Uh-oh, get off the Google. <laughs> get
2: off the Google and stop self-diagnosing yourself. You are not a medical professional. Um, and so we did all this test. We did all this blood work. And my primary care physician came back to me. He said, there is nothing physiologically wrong with it. So we need to figure something else out. Um, so I scheduled myself with my therapist who I had been seeing off and on for a number of years. And we had our meeting in... He was very clear. It's like, I you are clinically depressed. You're also experiencing anxiety. And so I facilitated a conversation between my therapist and my primary care physician as team only. So we were all on the same page about what my care was going to look like. It was the first time in my life also that I actually ever considered not being here physically. Um, and that was a very, really... Um, harrowing thought for me. Um, and I, you know, in retrospect, I feel like what I was really wanting was to just not be in so much pain or so much confusion. It's not that I didn't want to necessarily be gone forever. I just didn't want to be in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I really struggled with being present really struggled with like trying to figure out a way, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to how am I going to stay here when I'm so incredibly sad and unhappy and I don't feel good? And I just like, it just felt like a real chore to continue to want to be here. Um, and I have such a beautiful um, collection and circle of friends and spiritual community. And um, it was some of my very best, best girlfriends who came to me in one of those pivotal moments and, and stayed with me. Um, and it was also, that was also at the same time when I was going to the doctor and going to the therapist. And I'm grateful for my girlfriend's showing up in my house at 10 o'clock at night, um, and staying the night with me, um, making sure that I was okay, making sure that my youngest son was okay. And they said they were going to ride with me throughout that journey. And I'm grateful for that. Um, so it was a combination of, deep community here, people who know me and see me and love me. And we have a, I, what I consider like a very beautiful reciprocal relationship based on authenticity, not on perfection and my spiritual community and my, my doctors. Um, And God bless my youngest son. You know, my oldest son, he went to Howard university. So he was living in Washington, DC. So he wasn't seeing me on a regular basis physically.
1: Right.
2: But my youngest son had a sense that something was wrong. And he was seven years old. And he would follow me around the house. Um, he wanted to sleep with me all the time. And I told my ex-husband, something's wrong with Taj. Like, he, he won't, like, be without me. Like, if I'm in the kitchen, he has to be in the kitchen. If I'm in my bedroom, he has to be in my bed. Like, he's always following me. I think he's anxious. But what he was was really in tune with me, that there was something wrong with mommy. He couldn't figure out what it was. So he was just going to be present. And then after I was in treatment for probably about two months, maybe three, um, he announced to me, I think I'm going to sleep in my bed tonight. Is that okay with you? I said, yeah, sure. That's fine. He said, okay. And he never slept in my bed again. And so it was like, He was like a barometer inside the house of my unwellness and also um, me moving into a new shape. I didn't want to return to an old shape. I was moving into a new, healthier, emotional, mental, physical shape.
1: Well, what a gift to have him present there for you as your companion. I want to make sure that we talk about um, the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. What have you noticed that is different in some of the experiences for Black women in menopause as opposed to other, you know, maybe my experience in menopause or this woman's experience? Are there different other distinctions?
2: There are distinctions. And I would say, I am not an expert (laughs) expert. So I
1: get you. No, I do. They know we, we always say we're not an expert, but we will find the expert to answer your question.
2: I'm not an expert. I have opinions. I'm very curious and I'm a student of, of culture. So Mm -hmm. I will offer what I have learned. Um, I think that the differences that I've learned inside of the black girls guide for people who are Black identified, um, has all to do with culture and society, right? And so, you know, you will hear people who were referred to the SWAN study. And the SWAN study, for some of your listeners who may not be familiar, is one of the oldest, longest, broadest longitudinal studies around women's health, like big bucket women's health. And inside of that longitudinal study, was a segment on menopause and inside that segment was a very kind of quick like nod to the fact that black women indigenous women latinx women asian women experience menopause differently than their white peers it may come on earlier it may last longer the symptoms physical symptoms may be more intense but it stopped. There was a period. It, there wasn't a semicolon. There wasn't a continuation. There wasn't a deeper dive into, and why might that be? And so when you look at the societal context of Black women, Indigenous women, Asian women, Latinx women, other women of color, what are they experiencing that white women aren't? Certainly most of us who are, um, are women or are women identified in some way, shape, or form have experienced gender bias. Um, we we've likely experienced sexism and as we get older we likely have experienced some type of ageism right but when you don't share the same racial identity or cultural identity then what i've experienced as a black person living in in the united states or a black person who lives in the south we have we have very divergent experiences they're not just based on an individual experience because i also feel like that's really important to say there are individual experiences that happen inside of you, inside of your family, inside of your family of origin, inside of your community, that are very individualized and specific. And they're also undeniably cultural experiences that we've had in this country as people who are descendants of formerly enslaved people, who then also went through Jim Crow, who also have been like not had bodily autonomy or our bodies protected since our arrival in this country as chattel. So, when you're thinking about how a person might feel differently about their experience with menopause or getting older, all of that kind of factors in, which is again, an opportunity to see a person's whole personhood. I imagine that when a person goes to the doctor, no matter who they are, um, if a doctor can look at you and understand that you're coming and you're sitting on that piece of paper on that, on that, that table as a whole person with all these lived experiences, and how they can be curious about all of who you are so that way the treatment is specific to you and not the person who just left the room, right? Because that wouldn't make any sense. Like even if your sisters, if you and your sister went in there and y'all had similar situations going on, you would not get treated the same way because you're okay. two different people. And so when the, the question comes up for us through the platform, well, Omi, what's different about black people? Everything. <laughs> It, it, it sounds trite for me to respond that way, but it's it's legitimately true. Both individually, um, I'm not I'm not the same as my sister. I'm not the same as my best friend. I'm not the same as my cousin. But then we also, as Black women who were raised in the South, have similar lived experiences because of systemic pieces, right? These larger cultural pieces, and I think it's really important for us to. Not only acknowledge that, but for that to be a part of what drives this kind of ever growing menopause landscape and ecosystem, when we're talking about we need to normalize menopause, language matters. Language matters. So I will always say, Black women, women identified, and gender expansive people, I'm not going to misgender people, I'm not going to invisibilize people, I'm not going to erase people. I don't have a problem with saying women, but I also don't have a problem with saying gender expansive. And it's really important because it's, you know, it's a keen ear to the folk who listen to the podcast or who might participate in our intergenerational gatherings. Or, you know, we now, we have um, these monthly IG live conversations. We have um, millennial Mondays, um, nacho mama's menopause. I like that one. That's my favorite one. (laughs) Um, And we have um, What's Up Doc. And so they're in real time, you know, the way the IG Live works. You can join, you can leave, you can do whatever. But I would really, really be remiss if somebody who's been struggling or trying to figure out what's happening to them and they don't identify the same way I do and they happen upon the conversation and I'm using language that kind of cuts them off, right? right? It's like, oh, this is not a conversation for me. They don't, they're not thinking about me. They don't care about me. And that's not true. I do. I'm thinking about you. I care about you. Your experience is important. We just interviewed a transmasculine genderqueer person who experienced menopause in their late 20s because they had gender affirming surgery. So where does Austin see themselves inside of this menopause landscape? How are they being seen and respected in their full personhood? How is their story being elevated as a story that exists inside of all of the stories that are being shared around menopause. Austin's Thanks. story is just as important as Mama D's story, who today's her birthday, and she was the second person we ever interviewed for the podcast. Their stories are very different. Their, their experiences are very different. They're both Black people, and they both their stories are critical for folk to understand um, the diversity of experiences that people can have with menopause.
1: That is so important because we often talk about the fact that, you know, you may get 15 minutes in a doctor's office. You might, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're not going to inquire about mm-hmm. your history, um, your differences, mm-hmm. what makes you unique. And then on top of that, they're not really educated in school about menopause to begin with.
2: It's terrible. So you're working
1: at that deficit to begin with when they walk in the room. Right, right. right. It's
2: awful. It's like, not only do they not get the training while they're in school, but then after they're out of school, I think it's like, what, less than 3% of OBGYNs Mm -hmm. would say that they, in earnest, um, are providing expert support around menopause. And one of the things I, I suggest to people because um, I am definitely that girlfriend who will go with you to your doctor's appointment, um, is to simply say to your doctor, especially if it's a new doctor that you haven't established a relationship with, is say, listen, is it possible for us to just talk before you do any kind of examination? Can we talk? Do you, do you have enough time to talk to me? And they say, you know, we got back-to-back patients. I don't actually have that time. So can I schedule a follow-up either over the phone or come back in? Because I need you to like know me. Right. Um, is, is that possible? And if the doctor bristles and says, well, I don't know, then that might not be the doctor for you. And I think right. people have different types of insurance. You might be uninsured or underinsured and you might not have a lot of flexibility. But if you do have that flexibility, I really want to strongly encourage people to take that time to say, I need you to know that. I, I interviewed both my primary care physician, my OBGYN, and my therapist, like when we sat down, I was like, I need to talk to you. And <laughs> I've been in my OBGYN practice for so long that two of my doctors have retired. So, <laughs> so I'm on the third doctor inside the practice, Dr. Choi. And I said to her in my appointment last year, I said, listen, do you have any plans of retire me? To retire me? <laughs> like five years, 10 years. It can't take any more losing the doctors. <laughs> yes. Yes. And she said, No, it'll be a little while. I said, Can you just give me a heads up? I just need a heads up. And I said the same mm. thing to my therapist Listen, I know you're getting older. I need to give me a year. So you can also help me find your replacement. And they were like, It's not a problem, Omi. I will give you more than enough notice and I will be happy to help you identify a new therapist. I said, Okay, I just, I just, you know, I'm at this age. My next big birthday will be 60.
1: I just, I need you to let me know how long you're going to be rocking with me. (laughs) Right. And, you know, it's great that we feel at this stage of life that we're just going to ask the questions we need to know. Absolutely. 20 years ago, we may not have asked those questions. We wouldn't have. We
2: may not. And, you know, again, there's so many reasons why people feel kind of skittish, you know, like the way that we look at doctors as being the experts. So that way we think of them, we deify doctors some way. So if a doctor says, this is what you have to do, or you can't do this, or I don't have time to answer a question. And then there are also amazing doctors out there and healthcare providers, you know, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, who are so thoughtful, um, who do make the time, right. who are very curious about what's happening with you. I feel infinitely blessed that the doctors I have are infinitely curious about who I am and what's happening with me. And every time I sit down with them, they're always like, so tell me what's going on. How are you doing? How are the boys? How's work? Yeah. All right. What are, you, what, are, what are you doing that you're really excited about? How are you sleeping? How's your sleep? Right. You know, and so it's clear they know me because they know I'm a notoriously insomnia, you know, mm-hmm. always battling that. And so... If I have to make that shift with a new doctor, I need them to understand who I am and how I'm made and what's important to me and how I want to be healthy and good to this body that I have for as long as I possibly can. You know,
1: You know, leading from that, that statement, I think is a great place to talk about your deck that you started with Kendra, because a lot of women... Don't know the questions to ask. Oh, we don't. We or don't. how to start the conversation with them. They're actually embarrassed to talk about it, or the stigma around menopause is I'm not in menopause yet. So, you guys have actually created a Say More deck. Yes. Can you talk about those?
2: Last year, the team reached out to me and said, We would love to create some merch together. We would love to collaborate with you on some merch. I said, I'm not interested in, in merch because I'm not interested in um, being an influencer. You know, like Mm -hmm. in a way that some... I don't know what it is. I'm not interested. Um, I said, but I am interested in collaborating with you and offering a tool or a resource that doesn't currently exist. And they were like, ooh, let's do that. Um, So I shared with them... When we first launched um, Black Girls Guide in 2019, we hosted four in-person intergenerational conversations. Two in North Carolina, one in Washington, D.C., and one in Kenya. And we created a baker's dozen of a discussion discussion cards that would be used in small group table rounds to help people start the conversation. And they had themes. So spirituality, body, love, intimacy, pleasure, death, uh, voice. Um, so all these different themes and the question. And then everybody who was at the table, no matter their age, no matter whether they were menopausal or not, got to answer the question. So I was thinking, how could we translate that into a larger, fuller complement of a deck that a person could use as journaling prompts individually, or they could use for conversations with their friends, with their partner, with their spouse, with their wife, with their husband, with their kids, with their colleagues, um, with their doctor, (laughs) and we came up with 100 cards. And Soup the Nuts, we did all of this together. So we created all the questions. Um, we did all, we worked with an artist around the artwork and what we wanted. We broke it into elements. So they're broken down into fire, water, air, and earth. And okay. e- each element has five subcategories, like unlearn, like re- reinvigorate, like play, like passion. I um, hosted my first in-person event at the beginning of June, to introduce the same More deck to my local community, and one of the young people who came took everybody got a deck as a gift to take home. She took the deck to her grandmother's house the next day, and they're having a they decided to use the fire deck and the fire inside the fire deck. There's a lot of great questions about sex and play and pleasure, and that's when she learned that her parents or her grandparents, in fact, are having amazing sex. <laughs> 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 And so she texts me and she said, Omi, my grandparents are having phenomenal sex. I said, wait, how, how do you know this? She said, the same more deck. I said, wait, what? Back up. <laughs> she said, I took the deck to my grandmother's house. I'm, we're going through the deck is my mom, my grandmother, my auntie. Then my grandfather's chimes in. Then my husband chimes in. <laughs> then my mom chimes in. Then everybody's using the deck to have a conversation. I said, that's exactly what we want. Because, you know, there's a way that people say, well, I'm going to give this to my grandmother. This deck is not for me. Or I'm going to give this deck to my daughter. This deck is not for me. Or I wish you would create a deck for the men because they need this. This deck doesn't have a gender. This deck is for everybody. And literally
1: the questions that are asked, anybody can grapple with. Well, it sounds great. So I can't wait to check it out. And where can people find the deck?
2: Yes. So you can go to our Kendra.com um, and search, do a search for a say more deck, or you can go to guide to surviving menopause and it'll pop up immediately. There'll be a say more um, pop up and you click on that and you can learn more about my collaborative relationship with Kendra. I did a, a little blog piece on their blog about our partnership. And then you also, there's a click, a button that says buy. And when you click that, it'll take you directly to the Kendra website.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think I could probably talk to you for another two hours about (laughs) all that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I I just, I love learning your story. I love what you're doing, your platform. Uh, It's just, it's wonderful when our community lifts each other up. It is, it's important. It really is. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for thank your you. platform
2: as well. And you all reaching out to me, I just, it feels like the menopause landscape is really, really growing. Um, mm-hmm. And in deep, deep potent ways. And I'm excited to connect with people who are doing the same thing that you said, like creating a larger, broader, more diverse, more intentional community of practice for folk to engage.
0: Well, that was just a fascinating interview and I again hate it missing it I learned so much from Omi I learned so much from listening to this about the swan study that is incredible the longitudinal study I just really learned so much from this interview and just make sure you check out our podcast because uh, you will learn so much from that podcast and also check out our YouTube channel check out our Instagram follow us, review us, rate us. We have some TikToks out there. Some of them will be, you know, informational like this TikTok with this on it. But there's also some just fun ones out there, some helpful ones out there. We also have an LTK shop um, that you can follow as well. where There's products that Colleen and I both have tried out that we really like, and enjoy, we want to share with you that we find useful to midlifers like us. So be sure to check that out. Have a great week and we will talk to you
1: next time. Bye. Bye.